Good morning, Good News Church. My name is Gabriella Lee, and I'll be reading the scriptures today. Could we please send out for God's word? Let's turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 9, verse 28 to 36. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he had, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, Peter and those who were with him were very heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We are expecting you to speak to us today through Nicholas. We ask that our hearts and ears be open to the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hello, church. My name is Nicholas. I'm the communications director here. And uh, we're going to talk about Jesus. All right. I, I want to say thank you so much for, for the opportunity uh, to, to our pastors and to you for, for um, uh, this opportunity to, to share and open up God's word. Uh, I really do appreciate it. And I don't take it lightly. And, and I hope that, that today we can find out something new about this story that will lead to transformation. Uh, let's, let's start by stating the obvious. This is a weird story. It is. It's okay. It's, it's a little weird. Uh, um, now, Jesus is going around doing crazy, weird things all the time, de- casting demons out of people and raising kids from the dead. But, but this is one of the weird things that happens to him. And, and one of the cool things about going through a book like Luke, the way we're doing now, is that you're forced to talk about stories you may not normally talk about. And, and, and open up passages you may not m- normally read. And, and that's kind of what the transfiguration is. That's what this, this story is called, the transfiguration. Transfiguration means a change from within. Something happened uh, to Jesus that, that showed on the outside. And, and, so, uh, and, and, and it's a crazy experience. Have you ever had a crazy experience? Something that, that you can't explain or, or don't really know how to talk about? Uh, maybe you're not sure what it means. Um, I heard about a, a crazy experience that uh, in, in 1895 a German physicist had. His name was Wilhelm Röntgen, and and he was doing some experiments on um, some on a special kind of tube. It's like a, a a glass bulb that gives off fluorescent light. And when he looked across the room, he saw a glow coming from behind this this big sheet of really thick black cardboard. It was glowing. And he, he was like, what is going on? Why, why is that there? Uh, what, what's happening? And, uh, and he, he discovered after a little bit more experimentation that, that under certain circumstances, he could see through things. What did he discover? 
X-rays. He had discovered X-rays. And, and from that discovery, that led to uh, just a huge uh, new, new, new move in, in medical science that allows us to see what's going on inside of things. And, and I'm so glad that he found that. I'm so glad he asked some of the questions about what was going on there. And when we have a weird experience, when we see something weird going on, it's not just for the experience's sake. You know, we don't have a moment with God just, just to have that moment. We need to press in. We need to ask some questions. Uh, why is this here? What does this mean? And how should we respond? Those are the three questions we're going to talk about today as we walk through this weird experience. Why is this here? What does it mean? And how do we respond? And the response is very important because... Ultimately, an experience with God should lead to a greater understanding of God, and that should lead to a greater likeness of God. See, the goal is transformation, to, to become more like God. So, first of all, this passage, let's, let's open it up and, and talk about why is this here? So, the very first verse we read today, in verse 28, says, Now, about eight days after these sayings, eight days later, Eight days after what sayings? What had happened eight days before this experience that we can learn something about what's going on here? Well, if you remember last week, Pastor Walt just preached an amazing message about the kingdom of God. I encourage you, if you missed that week, or even if you, if you did listen, go back and listen again, because I think it's one of the best messages I've heard him preach about what the kingdom of God is really all about. But he talked about how the story of when Jesus goes to his disciples and he says, who do people say that I am? And, uh, and some people say that you're a prophet. Some people think that you're John the Baptist or maybe Elijah. Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the son of God. He's the king. Jesus is the king. That's the main point. And what is Jesus the king of? Anybody? What's the, Jesus the king of? The, the world. Everything. What is Jesus' main message? What's the number one thing that Jesus talked about? The kingdom. He's the king of the kingdom. See, Jesus is going around preaching about the kingdom of God, showing people what the kingdom of God looks like, showing what happens when God becomes king. And now Peter is starting to put it all together. See, it's, it's starting to ramp up. It's getting more and more clear that Jesus is not just some homeless Jewish rabbi. He's not just some guy from Nazareth. He's the king. And so this passage that we read today, this experience, is confirmation. It's God's confirmation of Peter's confession that Jesus is king. And we're going to learn about what it means for, for, for Jesus to be king. You see, this is a critical turning point in Jesus' ministry. Up until this point, he's teaching the kingdom, he's bringing the kingdom. But at this point, he's going to start focusing on what's going to happen at the end. It says that he was discussing his departure with Moses and Elijah. His departure and what's going to happen at Jerusalem. You're going to see in the upcoming weeks, in the, in, in the upcoming stories, that from now on, Jesus has the end goal in mind. He has it in his sights. Now, what does this mean? What does 
all of this experience mean? There's a lot of symbols going on here. There's a lot of uh, uh, symbolism. And we're going to do a quick look back into history and see what has happened before that would tell us something about what is happening now. So it's going to sound like we're moving to the side a little bit, but but hang with me because I promise it's going to come around and we're going to understand what this means. So uh, first of all, it says he's talking about his departure. And he's talking uh, about it with Moses. Departure, that word uh, translated in, in other, other your, your Bible might say exodus. Because that's the, the Greek word. He was discussing his exodus with Moses. Oh, isn't that cool? You see, what Moses had done was lead the people of Israel out of slavery, out of Egypt. That was the exodus. That was their departure and leading them to the place where God uh, would show them. And Jesus is about to do the same thing. He's going to lead all people out of slavery into what God has for them. In fact, Jesus' entire ministry was, was a reflection, was echoing what God had done through Israel in history. You remember uh, the, the Israelites spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness and Jesus has spent 40 days in the wilderness? The difference was that Jesus resisted temptation and was faithful to, to, to God's calling. There's 12 tribes of Israel, and Jesus has 12 disciples walking around with him, right? And and the original call of Abraham was was to be a blessing to all nations. And Jesus is preaching good news for all people. You see, what, what Jesus is doing is the same thing that God has been doing in Israel the entire time. It's the same mission. And now... There's one more important symbol that I want you to see. So, so let's look at the story real quick. So, so Jesus takes three disciples up to the mountain. Peter, James, and John. I think that tells us something about his discipleship method, right? He has the multitudes that will listen to Jesus preach. He has this smaller group that will, that will follow him around from town to town. He has the 12 disciples. And then he has these three guys, Peter, James, and John, that are his closest team. They're his core team that go with him on special missions. So, so these guys follow him up the mountain. Jesus turns dazzling white. Something changes in his face. His face is shining. And then these two guys that have been dead for centuries show up, Moses and Elijah. And they're just standing around having a chat with Jesus. These are two of the most important figures in Israel's history. But I kind of want to ask the question, why them? Why Moses and Elijah? You, you ever wonder that? Why not Abraham? Abraham was like the father of all nations, right? Like he, he, he was the one that this whole thing started with. What about, what, why not King David? I mean, Jesus is the king. King David makes sense to have him there. Why did God have Moses and Elijah show up on the mountain? Could it be that because Moses and Elijah represent the mission that God has been on through Israel and is now fulfilling in Jesus? So let's talk about these two guys. Moses. Moses is the lawgiver. After, uh, after Israel comes out of Egypt, they go to this mountain, right? And, and from this, uh, at the top of this mountain, this cloud comes down and a voice comes from the cloud. Kind of sounds like our story today a little bit. This voice comes and God says, okay, let's make a deal here. Uh, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. And I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests. He's going to make him a kingdom. Isn't that interesting? All this similar language that's going on here. And here's how we're going to do it. And then God proceeds to give him his law. 
And, and the main purpose of the law is to show God's people how to love God and to love others. If you look at the, the Ten Commandments, they're kind of divided into two parts. The first four are about how to love God. Uh, don't have any other gods, uh, uh, no idols, keep the holy name holy, keep the sacred day sacred. And then the other six are about loving others. Honor your father and mother, uh, don't kill, um, uh, don't steal, don't covet, don't lie. All of those are about loving our neighbor, loving, loving others. And then the rest of the law, all of those dietary restrictions and all of the, the sacrificial system, all those little details are really the working out of this basic principle of love God and love others. See, that's God's heart. That's God's ultimate intent. The law is just not a bunch of rules and regulations. It's the working out of how to love God and love others. So that's Moses. What about Elijah? Who, who is Elijah? Elijah is, is Israel's great prophet. And see, the role of the prophets was to call God's people back to their original mission of loving God and loving others. They were constantly calling out idolatry and injustice to others. They, they were saying that you need to come back. They were warning people and calling out the, the different things in people's lives that would pull them away from their main mission, the heart of God, to love, love God and love others. Now, does that sound at all familiar from anything Jesus said? Does that sound familiar? In Matthew 25, there's a story about uh, someone that comes to Jesus and says, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, it's this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all of the law and the prophets. This whole thing can be summed up in loving God and loving others. Because Jesus understands the heart of the law. He understands it's not just a bunch of rules. It's not just a bunch of regulations. The ultimate intent is to love God and love others. Now, if you were to take your Bible and start at page 1, and to go take about, like, say, a fifth of the way through, right about here, this is the law. Right? So this is, this is all, of those, all of those rules and God working out what, what to do. Right, It's all those, those things that we have a hard time reading. Right, Then if you take the middle section and go all the way to about here, this is the prophets and this is all the other writings. Jesus calls them the Psalms, which just means all the, all, all, all the additional writings. And if you're a first century Jew, if you were to put these together... This, the sort of the shorthand term for all of this is to say the law and the prophets. And then what's going on is that Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration are pointing to Jesus and they're saying, look, look at Jesus. Everything that Jesus is going to do over here, that's what we've been talking about the whole time. This is what we've been doing. He gets it. Jesus understands the heart behind it, the heart behind what we're doing. See, what Jesus is doing God has been doing all the time through Israel, through the law and the prophets. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Not just in a, like, foretelling his birth sort of way, but because Jesus gets it. Jesus understands what it's all about. So let's hear what Jesus said about this topic. In Matthew 5, he said, Don't think that I've come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill it. In John 5.39, he was talking with the Pharisees and he said, You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. 
But what you don't realize, it's they that bear witness to me. And then after his resurrection, Jesus is talking with his disciples and it's explaining everything that has happened. It says that he opened their, their eyes to see what was going on. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. So now let's talk about Peter for a second. Let's talk about Peter's response here. Uh, first of all, I think it's hilarious that every time these three guys, Peter, James, and John, start praying... They fall asleep. Seriously, every time. It's no wonder that Jesus had to teach them how to pray. So Peter kind of wakes up and he flips out half asleep and is like, whoa, Jesus, uh, isn't it good that we're here? What? Isn't it good that we're here? This is so Peter. This is so Peter's character. Peter is constantly the guy who's the first one to talk. He's always got something to say. He's always jumping in uh, just, just, just with something. And someone just needs to say, Peter, just, just shut up. No. <laughs> and I'll be honest, I'm guilty of this myself. Uh, if you get me talking about guitars or a movie I really like or something like that, I can get really excited and I start talking faster and louder. And, and I'm really, really going. If my wife is nearby, she'll, she'll give me the signal. Right? It's like, honey... No, no, you're done. You're done. Peter needed a wife. He needed someone to tell him, hey, just take it down a notch. So Peter is super excited, right? I mean, he's Jewish after all. He sees these two guys. These are like our main guys, Moses and Elijah, right? And uh, they've been dead for centuries. What are they doing here? This is amazing. We, uh, we ought to do something. We ought to, I don't know, we could, we could make a tent. What? We could make a tent for, for Moses and, and for Elijah and for you, Jesus, you know. And I, I don't know, we could have a party or something. That'd be so cool. It, says, it literally says, Peter doesn't know what he's talking about. He didn't know of which he spoke. But you see what's happening here, don't you? You see, Jesus is, or, or Peter is putting Jesus on the same level as Moses and Elijah. And it says that as soon as he says that, this cloud comes down and a voice comes from the cloud and says, this is my son. Listen to him. And then Jesus was found alone. Moses and Elijah disappear. See, the law and the prophets bear witness to Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. But the law and the prophets, they are not above Jesus. The law and the prophets aren't above Jesus. The Bible, Scripture, is not above Jesus. Jesus is the supreme revelation of God. Hebrews 1 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. You know, you might say, no, Nicholas, hold on, hold on, hold on. Isn't the Bible the Word of God? Isn't the Bible inspired? 
It's infallible, right? It's the word of God. And I would say, yes, 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 it is. The Bible is the word of God. But Jesus is the capital W, word of God. A pastor named Brian Zahn says, what the Bible does infallibly is point us to Jesus. So a couple of weeks ago, we were having our sermon planning meeting. We have a team of people here that help plan the sermons. We like to say that we, we preach as a team. And, uh, and I was talking about Luke, and I was probably getting excited. And, and, and Carrie asked me, Nicholas, is, is Luke your favorite gospel? There's, there's four gospels that are the story of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, uh, is, is Luke your favorite gospel? I said, no, actually, my favorite gospel is John. And you might like John too, John, John as well, like, uh, you know, John 3.16, everybody knows that, right? Um, maybe you like all of the I am statements. Uh, I am the bread of life. I am the, the light of the world. I am the way. But the reason I really like John is because he just has a different way of talking about things. It's, his tone is just a little bit different than the other gospel writers. And, um, and what really does it for me, the reason I really love John is the prologue to his gospel, the very beginning, because it's here that we see that Jesus is the capital W word of God. And in John 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, capital W, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. Doesn't that sound like something we just read? That's what Jesus, those are the words Jesus used to describe the scripture, to bear witness about him. That all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And in verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. See, I think when we say the word of God, I think the first thing we should think of is Jesus. Because he was the word that was with God at the beginning, one with God. In Colossians 1, it says, He is the visible image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So do you want to know the word of God? This is my son. Listen to him. Do you want to know what God is like? What is God like? What, what are you like, God? This is my son. Listen to him. You want to know God's will for your life, God's plan, the direction that God would have you to go? This is my son. Listen to him. See, I love the Bible. I really do. I'm fascinated by the Bible. If you haven't figured out, I love going into the context and the history and seeing what the the Bible writers were, were thinking about, what it was like when they were there, right? But the real reason I love the Bible is because it points me to the heart of God. It points me to Jesus. It shows me how to love God and to love others. What I don't love is people who try to weaponize the Bible by taking verses out of context and then ignoring what Jesus said. 
See, the Bible isn't just a collection of verses that we can pick and choose from to support our own ideologies. We have to look at the whole of Scripture and see the direction that it is pointing us to. It's not just a rule book. The Bible's not your prescriptive guide for life. You've heard that, that saying, the, the basic instructions before leaving earth. I, I'm sorry, it, it's so much more than that. See, the Bible is the inspired story of God's people discovering who he is and learning how to be in relationship with him. Have you ever heard someone take the Bible out of context? Yeah? I I posted on Facebook uh, last week, just for fun, what Bible verse do you think gets taken out of context too often? And I got so many responses. Everybody can think of an example, right? Do we got that slide? So, um... I got a lot of responses. Some people said, Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you. Someone put Romans 13, 1. If you've been watching the news, you know what that's in reference to. Someone just wrote Revelation. I thought that was funny. <laughs> but by far the verse that was posted and commented on the most was uh, Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? And this verse is usually used when we want to win an athletic competition or get a good grade on a test. Or maybe we want to finish a 5K. Sorry, Carrie. <laughs> but if you read the verse right in front of it, Paul is talking about being content in any situation, regardless of the outcome. Right? Isn't that crazy? But throughout history, the Bible's been used out of context to do much worse things than this. See, when America wanted to justify slavery, there's a number of verses throughout the Bible that talk about that. In fact, all you'd really have to do is look at Paul saying, slaves obey your masters, and it seems like it's case closed. Or how about the conquest stories in Joshua? They've been used for centuries to, to justify taking people's land and killing Or how about in a famous speech in 1922, Adolf Hitler used the story of Jesus cleansing the temple as justification for what would become the mass slaughter of over 6 million Jews. See, the Bible has been used to justify wars of conquest, slavery, vengeful retribution, treating women like property. So you can make the Bible say anything you want if if you pick and choose your verses, and you can call it biblical, but you're going to have to ignore Jesus. What does Jesus have to say? Let's look at two examples where Jesus dealt with people that were taking the Bible out of context. So there was this one time when the Pharisees brought a sinful woman to Jesus, cast her down and said, the law says... Moses told us that we can use capital punishment for this woman's sins. Jesus, what do you say? Did Jesus say, well, the the Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. See, Jesus understands the heart behind that law. Jesus understands that the ultimate goal is to get the sin out of the people, not to give them a a verse to justify stoning her. So Jesus says, let 
the one of you who is without sin, which one of you has gotten the sin out of your own life? He can throw the first stone. There's another time where Jesus and his disciples, they're traveling through Samaria. And, uh, and the, the Jews and the Samaritans had a lot of political tension. Think, uh, th- think current day Israel and Palestine, right? And as they're passing through Samaria, no one offered them a place to stay. And James and John, these are two brothers. Jesus' nickname for them is the Sons of Thunder. James and John come up with this bright idea. They open up their Bible and say, look, there was this time where Elijah called down fire on his enemies. Jesus, can we do that? Just like Elijah, he did. It's in the Bible, you know. <laughs> did Jesus say, well, they are our enemies. Let's, uh, let's call in the nukes. No. He said, what are you guys talking about? Do you not see what we're doing here? Do you not understand by now what my mission is? The Son of Man did not come to kill lives. He came to save them. This is my Son. Listen to Him. You see, we're not, we're not called to, to be biblicists. We're Christians. You can make a case for lots of things being biblical, right? But are they Christ-like? See, when Jesus looks at the law and he looks at the prophets, when Jesus reads scripture, he understands the heart of God. Do we? Do we understand where it is taking us? Do we understand God's ultimate intent? Or do we try to weaponize it to support support our own ideologies, to judge others? To feel better about ourselves. Are we being biblical or are we being Christ-like? This is what this means. So the last question I have today is how do we respond? Why is this here? What does it mean? How do we respond? The voice from the cloud says, this is my son. Listen to him. Who are you listening to? What are you listening to? What is shaping your worldview? What is forming your actions and your lifestyle? How do we respond to an experience with God? You know, we can have a mountaintop experience. We can, we can come into the presence of God or, or you, you can have your time of prayer and, and you can read the scripture. But what is it pointing you to? How, uh, how is it opening up To show you the heart of God. I said at the beginning that an experience with God should lead to a greater understanding of God. Which should lead to a greater likeness of God. See, the goal is transformation. The Bible calls this the imago dei. The image of God. We don't just have an experience for experience sake. And I'll be honest, I'm guilty of this. There are, there are days where I, I read the Bible and just feel like, well, I just did it so I could check it off my list and feel a little bit better about myself. Or there's times where I enter into prayer and really my only focus is on saying, God, help me. 
There's times where I'm in worship and I, I just, just am focused on that moment. And that moment is good and that moment has a purpose, but the moment has to lead to a greater understanding of God, which should lead to our transformation, being transformed into His image. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the other. Our goal should be transformation. This should change the way we think. It should change the way that we live. We should be a different type of people because of who it points us to. So who are you listening to? Have we used the Bible as a weapon? Have we used it to support our ideas? Maybe used it to cast judgment on someone else? Are we just focused on being biblical? Or are we focused on being Christ-like? God let us not have our own selfish goals when we approach God. So the goal is to have a personal relationship with the living word of God. And his name is Jesus. If you could bow your head. We're going to pray and respond right now. Father God, we want transformation. Father God, we want to listen to you. We want to hear what you have to say to us. We want to get to the heart of God. To love you. To learn who you are. To be dazzled by you. By your radiance and by your glory. And to learn how to love others and to care for those around us. To love our neighbor and to love our enemy, Father God. We need to be awed by his majesty and compelled by his obedience. So right now, Father God, I just ask that you would show us how to respond to you. Maybe you've weaponized the Bible. Or maybe you've ignored Jesus. Or maybe you've had an experience just for experience sake. Or maybe just today you just need to respond. If that's you and you, res- you want to respond, say, Jesus, I am listening to you. Could you stand as a symbol of following Jesus? I'm listening to you. I'm responding to you, Jesus. And we're going to sing this song in a moment. And as we respond, ask this question, God, what would you say to me? Jesus, what are you saying to me? Can we all stand? Let's sing this song and take it as a moment to respond to Jesus, to be dazzled by him, to be drawn into his majesty and let it change your understanding of who he is and to transform into his likeness.
prayer for you is that as you leave this place, this experience, this time with God, whatever you've heard, whatever God's told you, and maybe you just need to sit and wait. You can do that. The altar workers are going to come forward now. And, and if you need to pray for someone, you can do that. However you've responded to God, that it wouldn't just stay here in this room, that it would go with you. Ask God, how, how does this lead me to a greater understanding of you? How does this transform me into your image? I pray that you would be blessed. And as you go, that you would take the good news with you and you can transform others, other people's lives would be changed by the transformation that you see in your own life. Let's pray one more time. Father God, thank you for transformation. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for your scripture and for these opportunities to worship God, to pray and to come before you. And most of all, thank you for the living word of God, Jesus Christ, your son. I pray that we would be made into his image more and more day after day from glory to glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much. Have a great week.